All right, good morning. Uh, good morning to you here in live. We're welcoming Amped Blend, Roan County, down in Bearden. Good morning online. Good morning to you. Can turn to Exodus chapter 5. We return to the book of Exodus, kicking off a new series. If you're joining us for the first time, we don't normally encourage you to go back and watch old stuff, but we want to encourage you, go back and watch from 416, watch our approach to the book of Exodus. It's going to be really foundational as you're checking us out. Understanding how we're approaching this book is really important, and we don't have time to review it all today because we got places to go. All right, here we go. So just making sure you're awake. Some of you were like, woo. All right. Hey, a little bit of recap. Uh, as we left off in the story, here's where we left off. Moses has been raised up as a deliverer for God's people. He's finally uh, agreed to get on God's program. He's finally, uh, he and Aaron, they've come together. They've, they've met together. And this was the response of the children of Israel. In chapter 4, verse 31, this is where we left off. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. And that's the close of that scene. That, that's the end, bam, of that episode. And it looks like the stage is set. Everything's going to go awesome. God has called Moses to be a deliverer. He's given him very specific instructions on what to do. You're going to go. You're going to tell Pharaoh what's up. There's going to be some adversity along the way. Moses forgets that part. There's going to be some adversity along the way. And then you're going to deliver my people. The, as we pick up here in the story, there's just something that, that if we've been reading along, if we've been playing at home, if we read the entire book of Exodus, as we transition from chapter 4 into chapter 5, we need to remind ourselves that, that Pharaoh isn't a name, okay? It's, a, it's an office, that it's the king of Egypt, and there's a new king on the scene. So in your margin, your Bible, right, Bible, right, a new king. Okay, so this Pharaoh is not the first Pharaoh that we read about in Exodus. There's a new Pharaoh. Picking up in chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast for me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. Okay, Highlight and underline that phrase. I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. As we continue on in the book of Exodus, here's an important piece of background information as we read the story. We talked about it as we went through the first four chapters last spring. We talked about um, 
this as a, as a concept, but it's really important as we read this story that we would understand both an, an ancient Egyptian understanding and an ancient Israelite understanding. And that is that the, the Egyptian king was God incarnate. The god Horus, um, the, the Egyptian god Horus, uh, that he was the manifestation of Horus in a person. And the firstborn son of the king would become the next iteration of Horus incarnate. It's important that we would understand this because this is not just some mere physical battle. There's a spiritual battle that's underlying the entire story of the Exodus. And, and, and it's important that we would understand that as, as uh, Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh, they're, they're not approaching someone that's just your average king, like there's such a thing. But this is a king who believes that he's God. And what was Horus's role? Horus's role was to maintain the cosmic order. He was a, a warrior who was to maintain the cosmic order, and the expression was through Pharaoh or the king of Egypt. And so here we go. What's his response? They go and say, hey, Yahweh, Yahweh has come to us. This is a personal name and an important reminder. And if you weren't here for that first series, every time we see the Lord in small caps in our Bible, it's a covenant name. It's a personal name. God isn't a name. It's a category. A personal name of God is the Lord. Um, in your English Bible, it's Yahweh. That's the personal covenant name of God. Who's Yahweh? I don't know him. That phrase that I had you underline is huge. It's not just I haven't heard of him. It's I'm not going to recognize him. Who's Yahweh that I should do what he says? And here we go. On that very same day, he gives a command. More with less. Make them work harder. And he's driving a wedge between Moses and Aaron and the people of Israel. Make them do more with less. Don't give up. And so that, that's what they do. The taskmasters go. They put them to work. They, they make them work with fewer resources. They, they keep the load the same. And the people respond in confusion because they just heard Yahweh was on their side and he's coming to deliver them. He's going to save us, and now life is worse. What do we do? Then the foreman and the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task, each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Underline that phrase. Moses responds, why? 
Yahweh, why evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. As we think about um, the game of life, the game of life, it's a real game. But the game of life, okay, metaphorically, the game of life. But in the board game, the game of life, who wins? If you've ever played the game, if you've not played the game, you're about ready to be smarter. If, if you've ever played the game, the one who wins the game is who? The one with the most stuff. When you get to the end of the game of life, if you have the most stuff, you win. And so you have options in the game of life. You get to decide stuff along the way. You get to choose. Do I just jump straight into a career or do I, or, or do I go to college? And if you go to college, then you can get college jobs. And, and you really want the job that says, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, because you make the most money. And if the game is all about making money, then that's the job you want. And so you, you go through life and you make all the choices about um, getting the best job so you can make the most stuff or get the most stuff. It sounds like you, mom and dad. It sounds like you with your kids. It does. It sounds, it sounds like us. I, hey, why, why do I got to go to college? So you can get a good job. Well, why do I need a good job? So you can get lots of stuff. <laughs> it's, it is, it's how we view the world. Even as followers of Christ, it's how, we, it's how we view the world. Like the one with the most stuff wins. And we're like, we know that's not true. But deep inside, we're like, mm, maybe that's true. Money can't buy happiness. And some of you are like, I want to try. <laughs> I don't know that that's true. As we begin um, and we work our way through this series, it, the, the subtitle is um, A Biblical Worldview from Exodus. We're going to be working on what's it look like for us to have a biblical worldview. And, and um, that's just a phrase that means how do we view the world around us? How is it that we view the world around us? And how do we build that from uh, the scriptures instead of this constant messaging that we're being hit by all the time um, by the world? But here's the thing. I want to acknowledge we begin the game of life with a disadvantage. We begin with a disadvantage. And, and I believe that, that in Western cultures, in developed world, our disadvantage is the biggest in the world. You're like, What? We're advantaged. We have all the stuff. The more stuff you have, the bigger your disadvantage. The more success you have from the world's perspective, the bigger the disadvantage. We're born into a culture that teaches us what we see is what we get. But is that true? Is that true? The children of Israel find themselves on the receiving end of what appears to be a raw deal. Wait a minute. Moses, you came, you said that, that you were going to deliver us and life got harder, not by a little bit, but by a lot. May, may Yahweh judge you because you've made us stink. I love that phrase. You've made us stink in the eye of the king of Egypt. You, 
He's, he's harder on us now. How we view the world around us impacts how we think about God, and that impacts how we read the Bible. And so when we come to a, a text like this, um, when we come to the Old Testament in particular, where we approach it from this idea of, um, hey, I, I, and I say this all the time, but like, okay, I understand Jesus in the New Testament. I understand maybe that, that Jesus is um, an expression of God's love. I, I get the humanity of him. I get that, that he went and he cared for people and he loved people. But this God of the Old Testament, I really don't understand. He appears to be all about um, fire and wrath and judgment. So it appears like in the biblical story, there's, there's two different gods. But what we're going to see as we go out, as we build a, a biblical worldview, that, that the, the Bible story is more cohesive than you ever imagined. It's more knit together than you ever imagined. It's not two different stories. It's the story of God that's unfolding. And so we have to begin with with acknowledging what a typical worldview is in the world in which we're born. And all we're going to do over the next seven weeks is we're going to chip away at this. To pretend like in seven weeks you can deprogram all the stuff that's been hardwired into you by our culture, that, that's not going to be possible. But we are going to do, we are going to chip away. We're going we're to ask you to confront some of your beliefs and the way you view the world around you so that you could go, wait, what if I were to build the, how I view the world based upon what God says and who he is? And so this is a typical cultural worldview. We could say it in different kinds of ways, but we could say it this way, that what is my hope in this world? My hope in this world is in my ability to overcome life's obstacles and achieve what I desire to achieve. That's, that's my hope. When life comes, we all acknowledge life is going to have adversity. I'm going to face opposition in life. And when that happens, do, am I able to overcome it? Am I able to rise above it and, and able to achieve whatever it is that I desire to achieve? That's the goal. You do you. You, you achieve what you can achieve. Now, if we're a follower of Christ, this should go off and be like, okay, wait a minute. That's not true. If you're a follower of Jesus, you should be going, wait, there's something wrong with that. There's, there's no God in that. And so we, we might add God to the equation. And what we end up with is a with God worldview. And a with God worldview says, my hope is in my ability to overcome life's obstacles with God and achieve what I desire to achieve with God. And, and if you're sitting there thinking, yeah, that sounds good, I'm going to push back and go, that is not a biblical worldview. That's a with God worldview that is a cultural worldview with God tagged onto it. And so if that's not true, what is a biblical worldview? What, what is revealed to us through God's story? And that's this weekend's big idea. Here's the biblical worldview. And this, this idea is what this entire series is going to be built on. That, that my hope is in knowing who God is and what he says. And more importantly, it's not just in knowing who God is. It's to know God. My hope is to know God and what he says. And when I say no, I'm not saying no about. 
I'm saying no, like the best people in your world who you know that you know that you know, you know what they're thinking before they think it. You know how they're going to respond. In fact, you can predict how they're going to respond. You can tell somebody when you do this to them, they're going to say that. You know them that well. That's the kind of know that we're talking about. And in order to know him that way, it requires that we invest. We make some kind of investment in understanding who he is. Now, throughout all history, people have been confronted with big questions. As we come to the scriptures, we, we have questions. N.T. Wright says it, says it this way. As we look back across the centuries, we notice a recurring theme when people stop for a moment and ask themselves the big questions. Throughout all history, this is what philosophers wrestled with, right? Who are we? Where are we? What are we here for other than to feed, fight, and reproduce? What's wrong? What's the solution? And does the persistent rumor of God or the gods or something like that refer to anything real? Or is it just a silly, outdated idea that as a species, we can't quite shake off? What do we do? Is God real? If he's real, then how does this play out in our life? And the children of Israel, they're going to experience this principle. Their hope isn't in um, this idea that, okay, now, now we can finally do things our way. Their hope is going to be found in a covenant relationship with a God who's called them into relationship. The God who's going to save them, the God who, of salvation, whose name is Yahweh, is going to call them into relationship, and they're going to learn what it looks like to live in relationship with that God. That's the story of God. Now, here's what we see, and, and these are some things they should confront us. What we see as we, as we start reading, and this, this story really forms, uh, here in chapter 5 uh, through uh, chapter 6, verse 1, it really forms a foundation for what's going to unfold through chapter 15. And that's what this series is going to cover. We're going to go from 5 through 15, and this section really is the exodus of the exodus. The rest of the book of Exodus is going to be about living in covenant relationship with the God of the Exodus, with the God of salvation. What does it look like? And we're going to cover that in another series. In this series, we're going to be like, okay, wait a minute. What do we see about the supernatural character of God in in a world in which we say we can only trust what we can see? And that means that neither conflict nor success are indicators of alignment with God's purposes. This challenges how we think. This challenges us because often we're like, okay, well, wait a minute. How, how do I view the world around me? I, I think that, that when I'm successful, I give credit to God. But when there's conflict, I give credit to the enemy of God. Like conflicts to the enemy and, and success is to God. But a, but a biblical worldview says it, 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 God is at work. If I win in life, God is at work. If I lose in life, God is at work. God is at work. God is at work. In the great days, which for me is the hardest times to see God at work. In the terrible days. That gets easier for me to see God at work. 
But it requires that I coach myself and how I think, that I'm like, okay, wait a minute, what is true? What am I feeling right now? And so that leads us to the second question. When it comes to the game of life, how do we know if we're winning? We define it as what is success? How do you define success? It appears that Moses and Aaron and the Israelites are on the losing end. It appears like Pharaoh is winning. And so we have to stop for a minute and go, okay, how are they defining success? If in the face of opposition, we call that losing, and now we are unsuccessful in the game of life, how does that mess with us a little bit? And so Moses, uh, he wants to know, Yahweh, why have you sent me? Why did you do this? And he even goes so far as to accuse Yahweh of doing evil. And we would expect at that point that he'd be struck down dead and he would, God would find a new deliverer and he would raise up a new deliverer because he's like, Moses, that ain't going to work. Bam, you're done. I'm, that isn't how God's unfolding the story. He never addresses it. But it reveals how Moses saw the world. And I'm not saying he's right. But we see this throughout the Old Testament. We see it unfold. They never give credit to anyone but Yahweh for their success and for their defeat. It's Yahweh at work. Yahweh, why did you let us be defeated? That's what, that's what they say in 1 Samuel. They get crushed on the battlefield and they're like, Yahweh, why did we get beat? Why did you defeat us? They just recognize God is at work. And that means that, that neither conflict nor success are indicators of, of alignment with God's purposes. Just because we have success does not mean that God is on our side. And just because we get beat does not mean that God is not on our side. I had a conversation with a guy and, and, uh, very recently. And as, as we were talking, he was talking about all the cool stuff that God was doing in his life. I, I, and, and he's like, I can't believe... That, that God isn't behind all this amazing stuff. I'd be like, yeah, I believe that God's behind all that amazing stuff. I can't, I can't believe that, that God doesn't approve of, of what I'm doing because look at the results. You want to talk about a dangerous worldview? I can't believe God isn't on my side because look at the results. You want to get ready to go on life's roller coaster? Have that worldview. And you're going to find yourself on the top of the ride ready to go. Here we go. We're on the pinnacle and just wait because we're about ready to go down the other side. And here comes the wicked turn. And we might even flip upside down along the way. It's not about, okay, I'm successful. I have, I, I, I'm winning in life. And so God's on my side Here's another principle that we see emerge. Both God's people and his opposition may be confused by God's action or inaction. It's confusing. You've heard people say that one of the ways that God communicates is through circumstances. And I agree that one of the ways that God communicates with us is through circumstances. It's just not always clear what he's saying in those circumstances. 
Is God communicating to us through circumstances? Yeah, why? Because God is communicating. God is in the world and active in the world. He is actively engaged in our lives. Is he communicating through what's going on in the world around us? Absolutely. But, but don't put it in the category of, hey, it was a good thing. That's a God thing. I say that all the time. You want to drive me crazy? Equate good things with God things and you're going to watch my head pop off. No, that's a good thing because God things are good things and, and bad things. They're God things. Adversity is often a God thing. Read the book. And so just because good stuff happens, God's in that. And when bad stuff happens, God's in that. So here you come to this point, and you've heard, okay, I can't trust what I can see. Last week, Mark told me my heart lies to me, and now I can't understand the, the circumstances that are going on in my life. This is super encouraging, Dave. Thanks. <laughs> if I were you, I'd be really discouraged at this point. As I, as I was working my way through this, I'm like, here's what we see, right? Wait a minute, this story, let's just, if we just read this portion of the story at face value, we get to the same place Moses is. And I'm not going to say if you were Moses, you would respond in the same way. I'm just saying when confronted with these kind of circumstances in my life, I've acted the same way. Not hypothetically, but in the real world, in real time, when I felt like God wronged me, I cried out and said, God, what are you doing? How could you do this to me? I'm doing the best that I can to follow you, and you repaid me with this? This is how you treat me? And that reveals my worldview. It reviews this, this worldview of um, here's what I deserve, and here's what we're fighting against, okay? I'm not looking to offend you when I say this. We are fighting against a worldview that says you deserve life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's what you deserve. That is not a biblical worldview, okay? Just want to let you in on a little secret. Nowhere in the Bible will you find those principles, that you deserve life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You may find you deserve life, and it's found in Christ alone. You deserve new life by repenting and turning and putting all your trust in Jesus. But liberty? The pursuit of happiness? Those are not biblical concepts in, in the way that the American dream is built. So we're, we're, we got some heavy lifting to do. We got some serious chipping to do. We got, we got some serious uh, uh, barriers to bring down because, wait a minute, I've been programmed my whole life to believe that my hope is in the American dream, however I want to define what that is. And now you're telling me, wait a minute, that isn't from the Bible, that isn't what God has to say. And so we have to embrace it and go, what is our hope? And here's the thing. What you see may not be what you think it is. Magicians make a living off of tricking you, right? Illusionists make big money by making you see things that you don't see or not see things that are there. They, they, that is a concept. It should be really apparent to us. We can't really trust what we can see. 
It's been programmed into us that seeing is believing, that I can only trust what I can see. But if we, if we dig just a little bit below the surface, we're like, okay, wait a minute, that's not true. All it takes is a car accident to prove that. If you've been in a car accident, you know that your version of the events and the other person's version of the events are not going to be the same thing. I'm sorry to replay the death of my Toyota Matrix, but I'm going to replay the death of my Toyota Matrix. This happened almost two years ago. I'm still grieving over the loss of my Toyota Matrix. And here's the thing. It's not because it's a special car. It's not because it was amazing or anything like that. It's because I feel like... Like my versions of the events were, I did everything that was right. The light turned green, and in my view, this was right. The light turned green, and if, if you've ever driven a Toyota Matrix, you know it's not a speed demon of a machine. You can punch the gas, and it's like a delay, and it might decide to go eventually. So there's one thing you're never doing in a Toyota Matrix. You're never jumping a light. And so the light turns green and you're pretty sure it's green and you wait a second. And that was my fatal flaw. Because if I had just jumped it and sped through the intersection, this guy ran the light so late that I would have made it through and he would have actually went behind me. That's my version of events. His versions of events were... My light was green. Why did you just decide to punch the gas and go on a red light? I'm like, what? But that was his version of events. And somewhere in the middle was the truth. If you've, if you've married couples, you know this. You've had conversations. Maybe this morning you had a conversation and, and you're like, okay, and now you're going to try and recount and the way things went and you're getting the kids ready to go and you're trying to, and later you're going to revise that in your mind and you'd be like, you said and you said and you said and neither one of you can come up with the same version of what happened. What happened? What'd you say? How'd you say it? I don't remember saying it that way. Ladies, we're really not stupid. We just see the world different. <laughs> we're just thinking different than you, right? And you're thinking different than us, and we hear things differently, and you hear things differently. It's, it's how we view the world. And if that happens in relationships with other people, certainly with God, that's going to happen. We don't understand what he's up to. What's it, what are you doing? Okay, when you said this, what, what did you mean by that? And, and I'm not seeing that play out in my world. And so there is a solution. And I want to encourage you. There is a solution. And it's this, to live connected. To live connected. That's the solution. I know that sounds overly churchy to say live connected. What are we talking about? We're talking about that as people, our only hope is to live relationally connected to Jesus. That's it. What does it look like for me to live relationally connected to Jesus? Because I can't trust what I can see. I can't trust what I'm feeling. I can't trust necessarily the things that the world is telling me. But who can I trust? I can, I can trust the one who is Yahweh in the flesh. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 1, when it says, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out. We see that the children of Israel and Moses are in the midst of a faith fail, but Yahweh is on the way. 
Now with this, okay, as you walk away and you may be like, see, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with uh, Exodus 6.1. That's my verse. I'm going with that. Hey, Yahweh is on the way. He's going to come. And if I just wait long enough, he's going to fight for me and I will be delivered. You know what that's called? That's called Bible abuse. That's what that's called. God hasn't promised you Exodus 6.1. He's promised you Jesus. Okay. So when you're reading through the Old Testament narratives and you come to a verse like this, now I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit might not resonate within you and he's going, okay, hey, that conflict that you have at work, okay, hold on, hold on, be patient, work it out, it's coming, things are going to go different, just wait, it's going to come, it's going to go a different trajectory. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit might not be working that within you. I'm just not saying, don't claim that as a promise of God because God didn't promise you that, that you would see the pharaohs in your world fall. He promised you Jesus. And that he's with you. And that he's walking with you. And that to live relationally connected to him, that's our hope. You see, this consistent theme that's going to play out in Exodus over and over again is Yahweh will be known. The covenant God of the children of Israel will be known. This book is all about knowing him. What does it look like to live in relationship with him? That, that's true, that the Egyptians would know Yahweh, that the Israelites would know Yahweh, but even more so that people through all eternity would see that Yahweh is the God of salvation. That's the story of the Exodus that's fully delivered in the person. Yahweh is salvation, is his name. You, you've heard it as Jesus. His name means Yahweh is salvation. That is the same story. Our story is an Exodus. Exodus story that once we were not a people now we've been called to be a people once we were living in darkness but now we can live in light how through Jesus alone living living relationally connected to Jesus is our hope when the world is lying to us and the world lies to us all the time when the world's hitting us with messages we have to go okay what is true what is true I've said this before, and I'm going to keep saying it, okay, <laughs> unapologetically. As followers of Christ, we, when we see darkness in the world, we need to stop grumbling and complaining about it. As followers of Jesus, when, when we see stuff going sideways, when we grumble and complain that the darkness is increasing and things aren't going in a godly direction, we have, we've made God this big. God can only be at work in the good stuff. God couldn't possibly be at work in the midst of extreme darkness. But he's the God of light, and we're the people of light. We're the ones who shine light into the darkness. We're the ones who bring hope to the hopeless. We're the ones in the midst of a world that thinks they're the smartest people who've ever lived who go, wait a minute. We know the God who made you. We know the God who's, who, who's given you purpose and meaning and significance. We know the God that, that, that has created you to be who you are. If you want to know your identity, your real identity, the only way that's ever going to be found is in Jesus. The only way that you ever understand who you really are, the only way you're going to understand how you're really wired, the only way is by you turning from thinking you're going to find it in the world and turn to Jesus. That's our message, not how could they and don't they know, and we need to fix this. Do we? 
We need to bring light. We need to bring hope. We need to bring the person of Jesus Christ into the world to people so that they see that there is hope in a hopeless world. Because our only hope is to know God and what he says. That's our worldview. And so we, as a message, like when when darkness is on the rise, we're going, okay, wait a minute. There's opportunity for light to shine. That's our part. We get to do that. So as as you head into this fall, what, what's this mean, okay? There, there's a vision card that, that you have that um, should be accessible. And on that vision card, okay, this isn't, hey, just do the stuff, okay? But there is a, there's an aspect that when we engage in what God's doing with God's people, that we create an atmosphere, atmosphere for God to work in us and the people around us. And so as, as we're heading into this year, the fall is a great time for us to plan. So it doesn't matter if, if you have school-age kids and moms and dads and the world's going crazy right now. We want to get this in front of you to go, you're planning your fall. You're putting all kinds of stuff on your calendar right now. You got school events coming up. You got travel ball events coming up. You got all kinds of stuff that's going on your calendar right now. And we want you to get this stuff on your calendar. That, that you would say, hey, this is important. We, we believe this is important. And so at least for the fall, you don't have to plan the spring unless you want an A on the test. If you're good with a B, just get the other stuff on there. And so it explains, what's, what's, what's pray three by five? What's that all about? Um, what, what, is, it, is it one time to gather it in all in prayer on whatever campus that you're on? What's it look like for me to join together and serve in the community with a whole group of people that are serving together in the community? That you would go, hey, that's a non-negotiable for our family. Hey, this fall, what we're going to do, that's a non-negotiable. You'd be like, yeah, but I got a tournament on that weekend. What a radical concept that you would teach your kid, hey, we're not going to that one. You want to teach them how to win at the game of life? We're not doing that that day. We're not doing that that night. Why? We're going to go pray together. Hey, we're not, we're not, no, 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 not that weekend. We're, we're going to go and serve together. It's one, this fall, one it speaks to, to what's important in life. And then as, as you head into it, there's other stuff. There's groups to be a part of. If you have a student fall camp, I, I, I want to talk to grandparents out there. If you have, have student-age grandkids, what an incredible gift that you would go to their mom and dad, hey, I'll pay for fall camp. If you have the means, why wouldn't you do that? What a gift. Mom and dad, they can't make ends meet, but you're like, oh, wow, I could send my grandkids to fall camp. You want to go to fall camp? There's plenty of opportunity to you make the investment in a, in a kid's life, not just, um, hey, do I go to their events and watch them and say, hey, great job, but what's it look like to, to invest in them? And maybe for you, it's going to, there's all kinds of stuff that we have planned for this fall for you to invest to make an intentional decision in your spiritual life. Maybe for you as a grandparent, it's going to the Grandparent Summit to learn how to leave a lasting legacy. I want to encourage you to do that. As a parent, maybe it's, it's something else. Hey, I'm in a group. I make sure that there's a regular rhythm. I want to say, hey, these are our goals for our family this fall. Or maybe even it's something as radical as taking a trip in the global world. There's opportunities this fall that you would say, okay, wait a minute. If we have an opportunity to make an impact in the global world, 
So what if we were to take a trip to Mexico City to do something in anti-human trafficking? Or what if we were to be part of a, a trip that's leading kids camps in Guatemala in order to invest in sharing the good news of the kingdom of God with kids in Guatemala? What, what would that look like for us to do that? There's, there's opportunity for you. And then finally, live it out. I know, I know y'all are tired. Live it out, live it out. You guys won't let up. And we're not going to live it up because it's not about doing the live it out. It's about living it out. It's about living it out. It's one thing to come and go, okay, hey, that's good information. But it's another thing to say, okay, how do I put this thing to motion into my life? And so when it comes to the live it out, this isn't something to save up until the end of the week and then work your way through it. That's this is a daily, a daily discipleship guide. What does it look like us to have a daily interaction with God? And, and I want to encourage you, the question isn't, hey, did you do the live it out? I think you guys should hold each other accountable. I think we should hold each other accountable. I think you should hold me accountable. In fact, Tim and I were talking the other day. One of the reasons we do the live it out is because we're afraid somebody will ask us if we didn't do the live it out. <laughs> It, whatever it takes, man. Whatever it takes. That's not bad. Like, man, if somebody asked me if I did it, I better have done it. I know I wrote it, but what? If they asked me, did you actually do it? So here's the question. I want to give you a better question. Here's the better question. What is God teaching you? What is God teaching you? What's God teaching you? And what I mean right now is, okay, do not give a generic answer. If somebody gives you a generic answer, and if God's teaching you as, pa as patience right now, good for you. He's always teaching us always about patience, okay? But if you give a generic answer, and, and I'm going to take this one off, okay? If somebody says to you, what's God teaching you right now? And they say patience, I want you to say, yeah, I meant from the Bible. What God's teaching you from the Bible? I'm only halfway kidding with that, all right? <laughs> What's he teaching you in the scriptures? What's he teaching you through the live it out? What's he showing you? And it's not about every day, some major big thing. Man, this Thursday, this is a real world example. He didn't give me some big major thing. I'm driving in my car. I'm listening to the reading that day. And, and it's going through the abomination of desolation and what's going to happen there. And, and I'm thinking, okay, now the it starts going in my mind. Okay, people are going to come. We're like, okay, what do we do with this text? How do we handle this? How do we view this? Did this already happen? Is this in the future? Did this happened in AD 70 when the temple was destroyed? Or, or is this something? I'm like, oh man, how am I going to answer this people? But I stopped listening. Started having a conversation. How do I do that? And I don't think this was the Holy Spirit. I think this was me. I'm like, you know what I'm going to say? I think it's going to work out. <laughs> what do you think about it? I'm like, I just think it's going to work out. I think it's going to work out. I, I have a better understanding of it than that, but that's what I'm going with for now. Why? Because I want to talk about Exodus. Let's talk about the Exodus. Let's talk about what God's doing in the Exodus. I don't want to talk about the abomination, desolation, and the, and the temple in AD 70. Let's do that another day. Whatever it is that God is teaching you, have a conversation about it. Have a conversation about it. That's the goal, that we would live it out. Not that we would do the live it out, but in order to live it out, we got to do the live it out. We have to engage. We got to be intentional in our engagement. It doesn't just happen. Knowing who God is, knowing God and what he says doesn't just happen. It requires that we invest. And, and this, as we, this is one of those times as we look into the fall of this year, 
It gives us a chance to hit reset and go, hey, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to be about. This fall, we're going to be all about what? Knowing God and what he says in order that we could build a biblical worldview. That's what we want to be about. We want to see the world through a different lens. That's what we're going to be about. So with that in mind, I want to invite you in all of our venues to go ahead and stand. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to worship. God, we are grateful that you are the God of hope in the midst of a hopeless world, that we are a people of light in the midst of darkness, and that you've shown us who you are through Jesus. And it's in his name that we worship you right now. Amen.